0: If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to find ourselves in First Peter chapter number 1. First Peter chapter number 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 tonight. And the title of this Wednesday night sermon is Something to Shout About. I mean, we got something to shout about, don't we? Uh, and we, we shout about a lot of things. Some of you shout when you get stopped at the traffic light down here. Now, we're not going to repeat what you're shouting at the time, but some of you shout, uh, we're in March Madness now, and uh, maybe your team has been gone a long time from the tournament, just like my team's gone, but, but uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's okay. You know, when it all stacks up to it, it really doesn't matter. Because, all oh, that's temporary. Matter of fact, we'll, we've been, before the year's over, we'll forget who won the silly thing. I mean, that's just, you know. But, you know, we, I, we shout about that. But here in 1 Peter, Peter gives us something to really shout about. And he opens this letter up. We're in verse number 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bitna. Now, I've probably mispronounced all those, but um, you go ahead and try it. And he goes on and says, elect Well, that's a word that's been tossed around pretty good. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his uh, abundant mercy. Now, I, I, sometimes we, we, we read uh, and we, we'll, we'll miss something. Notice here he says abundant mercy. He doesn't say mercy. Amen. Aren't you glad tonight that his mercy is abundant? Amen. I mean, uh, he, just, he just keeps on giving. He keeps on giving. He's a merciful God. Amen. I don't know about you, but that's something to shout about right there. He's merciful uh, and His grace is sufficient. And so he goes on and says, uh, His abundant mercy uh, that has uh, has begotten us again into a lively hope. Lively hope. Not just hope, lively hope. Now, lively hope means it's alive. Our hope is alive. Why? Because our Savior's alive. And so, he goes and he says, Into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Boy, it gets personal right now. He says, I got something for you. Aren't you glad we serve a personal God? We don't serve an abstract God. There's many false religions today. They serve an abstract God. We serve a God that's alive and is alive forevermore. And he wants to have a personal relationship with each and every one of them. That's something to shout about. And then he goes on and says, "Uh, Who are kept... It just gets better, doesn't it? He says, who are kept, how are you kept? By the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so, by God's grace, and we're not going to keep you long, we're going to see three things that we ought to shout about. The first thing that we're going to see is we ought to shout about that we are saved by grace. That's something to shout about. But not only are we saved by grace, but it goes on and it tells us, uh, and, and, and we find that in verses 2 and 3, but we also see uh, that we are uh, not only saved, we're, we're also slant, uh, slated for glory. We're slated for glory. But then he comes and he ends this section here, and in verse number five, he says, Then we are sealed by God. And so here, uh, Peter, uh, there are some uh, liberal theologians who say that uh, Peter could not have written this epistle. Now, I do not understand why they would uh, want to argue that point because I'm pretty simple. But isn't it simple? He introduces himself in verse number 1. What else do they need? He says, I'm a Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus. But the reason why the liberal theologians say Peter couldn't have wrote this is because they take a scripture out of Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. And in Acts chapter 4, verse number 13, it's talking about Peter and John, and it said this about them, They were unlearned and they were ignorant men. And so these liberal theologians say, Well, someone who's ignorant and unlearned surely could not write a letter like this. But the reason they say that is because they don't understand what that phrase means. Unlearned and ignorant—it means, first of all, they're talking about laymen, and they're talking about someone who does not have a former a form of religion, a religious education. Okay. Now, still, what difference does that make? Because. By them saying that, they discounted that Peter spent three years with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, you might not have a seminary degree. But if you can come and say, you know what? I spent three years with Jesus. I'm going to say, if you have something to say, you must be something worth uh, listening to. Because they've been with Jesus. But then we also see, they also discount the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have nothing against education. I'm grateful that I was allowed to go and, and de- get a degree and, and all of that. I, I'm grateful for that. And, and, and it, it was beneficial to me. I, I, uh, some of the stuff, I, you know, I kind of threw out. Uh, but uh, uh, by and large, I had a wonderful experience in uh, my uh, Bible schooling days. And I wish I'd have probably, you know, gone on further with it. I have no problems with that. I have no problem that someone, if they don't even finish high school, that God couldn't use them. We see many times, I could give you example after example. D.L. Moody would be one. D.L. Moody was not an educated man. But we know by his sermons and by uh, those thousand, and we do not know how many came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior under the preaching of D.L. Moody, an uh, uneducated man. God can use anybody who is willing, and the Holy Spirit can work through anybody who will allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. And so here, there's argument about, uh, I'm, I'm settled. I'm comfortable with the fact that Peter wrote this epistle. Now, having said that, we know who the author is. But notice, to look to who he is writing this letter. He says and calls them strangers that are scattered. That word strangers... The actual meaning of that word, when you translate it from the Greek, means resident aliens. We understand that there was a group of folks. We already saw in verse number one, they were scattered into four different provinces of the Roman Empire. They were outside of Palestine. Their their citizenship was in Palestine, but now they're living outside of their homeland. That's the reason why Peter called them strangers. They were in a different setting. They were in uh, that where the culture was not the culture that they came out of. There were residents there, but they were aliens because that's not where they belong and that's not where they were from. Now, we as believers can kind of understand this, can we not? Because, understand, the Bible is quite clear. and We're going to see it a little bit later. We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Some people said we have a dual citizenship. I understand uh, what they're talking about, but I kind of like it to look at it like this. Now, I know I'm weird and sometimes I think uh, kind of crazy, but just go ahead and bear with me. I don't believe that we have a dual citizenship. I believe if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're a citizen of heaven. But you just got a work visa to be down here. Because this is temporary. As opposed to our government. Our government gives working visas, but they wind up staying. (laughs) And I know that's too political. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. Is that not the truth? We have, we, hey, our citizenship's not down here. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And Bible says we're just passing through. We're pilgrims. What does pilgrim? Pilgrims just pass through. Why? Because they're looking for their homeland. We're sojourners. Our citizenship's there in heaven. He's just giving us a temporary work visa to be down here. And so he says that they were scattered. They were dispersed out. Understand, he's writing to a people that that have been persecuted. He's writing to people that are troubled. He's writing to people that have been taken out of their comfort zone. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them. In verse number 3, it says, and we read it, it says that we have a lively hope. See, when you take a person's hope away from them, then they will die. As long as you have hope, you can continue on. Because you know one day it's just going to get better. That's what keeps us uh, sane down here, does it not? I mean, we look around and we see uh, every time you turn the news, there's something that we see. Just recently, uh, the bombings in Austin. Uh, we see the uh, upheaval. We see how our our country is divided. We see all kinds of things that can get us discouraged and, and 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 get us down and out. I mean, you go to workplaces where it's negativity everywhere you turn. You go and work to a place that, that you know it doesn't matter how well you perform your job. It's how you kiss up to the ones that are ahead of you and and all this other stuff that we have to deal with. What keeps us going? Because we have a lively hope. We understand one day we're going to go to our citizenship where it belongs. That's in heaven. One day it will get better. And so we have a lively hope. But notice here first of all in verses 2 and 3 we're saved by grace. Now notice the word elect. That word has been tossed around and it has been misused. The word in the Greek, uh, elect, means to select as a group. So that means that uh, you, you have a choice here, if you will. When we, uh, the next time we have an election, that's where the word elect comes out of. What do you do? Well, you go into a And whoever's running for governor, you're going to have a list of names, right? You're going to make your ex or however you touch, whatever they do now. And you're going to select or you're going to elect. But notice the word. The word is that you have a choice. There are some who have Calvinistic theology tendencies that say that's exactly What that word means, God started to pick and choose who was going to be saved and who was going to go to hell. That's not what that word's saying. Look, you cannot take a verse out of context and build your text. And that's exactly what they do. Now notice, Just bear with me here. So, he says here, the elect. Now, here's another word that's being used, and we see it in the text here. Chosen. Okay? So, you got elect, you got chosen, and then you also have another word for knowledge. Okay? You have to integrate all of those in to build your doctrine. You can't build your doctrine on one or two verses taken out of context. You have to have it interwoven into it. And so here, elect. What does what elect? It means that you have been chosen. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, in verse number 14, you all know the background. Now, it's important to understand the context of Matthew 22. Matthew 22 talks about a king who's going to have. A wedding. Remember the story? He calls his servants out. He tells his servants, he says, I want you to get the news out. They need to come to this wedding. So the servants go out and what do they do? They put a calling out. They are calling them, hey, come to the wedding. Hey, the king's inviting you to the wedding. And so they would go. They didn't have uh, uh, Facebook. They didn't have all that. And so they went out and they, they would call them. Back in the, uh, the old days, they would call them criers where they would announce news. They would cry, they would cry out. And so here's the call. The call is a general call, right? Because it says here, in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. That is that what the text says? Yep. Okay, so here's the general calling. God has given a general calling. How do we know that? The cross. Right. The Bible tells us, Jesus himself said, If I be lifted up, I will draw some men, all men, and to me. Does that mean that all men that are going to be drawn are going to get saved? No. Here in the story, the context. So the call goes out, general call. Come to the wedding, come to the wedding. So they now coming to the wedding. The king comes in, and he notices that there is a man that has arrived at the wedding, but he was not dressed properly. The king asked him, you've come to a wedding, but you're not dressed to come to a wedding. Why aren't you dressed? It would appear that the man did not take serious the call. The call was to a wedding. Back in those days, everyone knew if you were coming to a wedding, there was a certain way that you would dress. Okay, you got this? But here's a man that shows up not properly dressed. And the king tells his servants, Cast him out. What is that? That is a picture of salvation. The general call has gone out. You need to be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way into salvation. That's the general call. And we see not everyone who is drawn, not everyone that's called responds and does their part. And they have a responsibility. If you have Calvinistic theology in that, they say something about irresistible grace. What they're saying is, if you are one of the elect and you've heard the call, you can't do anything but respond to the call. That's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. And so the word elect here, you have, to, you have to bring the word calling, you have to bring the word chosen. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, it says, we are, he, He's chosen us, and him. Okay, now. So here's the general call. That's what we do every time we get behind this pulpit. Every time a preacher gets in the pulpit, he's doing a general call, right? He's telling them, here's the way into salvation. You need to respond. That's the reason why we believe in public invitations. Jesus did it. We see it here in the scripture. They publicly had to come to the invitation that's been given. But everyone that came was not chosen. Why? Because God had already uh, made arrangements that they weren't going to be... No, because they did not fulfill their responsibility. Irresistible grace takes man's responsibility out of the picture. Now, some of you are looking at me like, what did she do? Okay, now watch this. Then he uses a word for knowledge. But notice this chosen, being chosen was before the foundations of the world were established. Now, go to John chapter 3, verses 3 and 7. How do you get chosen? Nicodemus, remember the story of Nicodemus. Amen. Nicodemus comes, and I'm going I'm, to I'm shorten it down here. Jesus talks about uh, you, cannot, uh, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand that. Jesus was trying to tell him uh, that uh, uh, flesh and water cannot reveal to you. He was talking about a spiritual birth. How do we do that? By coming to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And so here, we're chosen in Him. Now, in John 14, Jesus talked about this. He says, I'm divine, or 15, I'm sorry. He says, I'm divine, and if you abide in me, and I abide in you. So you're chosen, not because God had already pre-selected. It's because you were chosen in Him. Because you're in Jesus and Jesus in you, then you're chosen. You're one of the elect. Not because God had already prearranged that. Well, what about the word foreknowledge? I'm glad you brought that up. Now, foreknowledge means to know something beforehand. Now, the foreknowledge of God. How can God know something beforehand? Because He's God. But watch this. He also knows what's going to take place because he's the one that set the universe and he's the one that had the plan before the foundations of the world were established. And so, because of him setting it up, he also not only wrote the first chapter of the book, but he wrote the last chapter of the book. He knows how everything's going to wind up. And so, a better wording here of foreknowledge is foreplanning. God planned it. What did He plan? He would plan that there would be only one way into salvation. He planned that man would have a general calling... He planned that those who would respond to that calling, they would be chosen and they would be saved, not because of who they are, but because of who He is. Because the Bible says that we're chosen in Him. Okay? So, here He says elect and foreknowledge. Now, we also see this word is only used one other time in the New Testament, the word foreknowledge. It's also used in Acts chapter 2, verse number 23. That's when Peter was preaching his sermon there. So, we see here that we're the elect and we are the chosen. And Now, there's a whole lot more we can say about this. And uh, you say, well, why do we need to spend a whole lot of time on that? I'm telling you, because... We have seminaries that are cranking them out by the dozens who believe in Calvinistic theology. I'm just telling you. They say, well, God's already... No, no, no. You misinterpreted what the Scriptures are saying. It's a whosoever will. God chose you because you chose Him. I don't know why this is so hard to figure out. Does that make sense? And all of it is because of His wonderful, marvelous grace. And because of His mercy. See, God, it's like sometimes we treat God like this. That God goes in and kind of gets things going. And then He kind of sits back and how, see how things play out. And then when somebody gets saved, He says, Well, I didn't see that one coming. Well, he has more knowledge. He knows. He knew before the foundation of the world that I was going to get saved in February of 1981 on a Friday night in my uh, brother's mother-in-law's living room. He knew that. That's foreknowledge. He knew when you were going to get saved. It was not. It's not a surprise to him. Why? Because he has foreknowledge. And also because He's the one that put the plan into action in order for you to be able to be saved. And the reason why He put the plan in action is because He's a graceful God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He could have easily said, none of us do. Matter of fact, the Bible says it, that we all deserve hell. And they'll say something about grace, sovereign grace. That's another word that uh, that uh, ought to raise a little flag when people talk about sovereign grace. I believe in sovereign grace, but not the way they're wanting. To them, sovereign grace is you ought to be if you're saved. You ought to be, uh, you ought to be uh, singing amazing grace. Listen, the only reason why you got saved is because God had already enacted a plan, and it wasn't because He's picked and choose and said. Uh, he He says that we are saved by His wonderful, marvelous grace. wasn't anything you did. It's not because God played favorites. And so that's something to shout about. We're saved by grace. It wasn't nothing you did. It wasn't the, uh, how well you performed. It's all by His wonderful, marvelous grace. But then we see the second thing. We see in verse number 4, He says, We are slated for glory. Notice here He says uh, that he has, we have an inheritance. Now in order to have an inheritance, someone has to die. Right? Well, our inheritance was given to us because someone did die. But I got good news for you. He's alive today. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 13, you go through, it talks about, it's like to the Son of Man, he talks about, and of course, that's the Lord Jesus. It's the glory of the Lord that's showing there in Revelation chapter 1. And, he's, uh, and it talks about that he was once dead, but now he is alive and alive forevermore. That's something to shout about. And so here, our inheritance, uh, what is it? He it says, our inheritance is by the way is coming later. Our inheritance is waiting for us in heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, verse number 27, it talks about, and in this inheritance, there will be no more defilement. Nothing's going to mess up your inheritance. Now, I have been involved in some families that... An inheritance came into play. And there were some in the family that were a little ticked off about what they were going to get or what they didn't get. It's a crying shame of the number of families that was totally split in half just because of a few hundred dollars. Cousins, aunts, uncles you hadn't seen, they'll show up when they know there's some money involved. Why am I getting out of this deal? And we'll say, that is a shame, but you, I'm going to tell you something that's even more shameful. When we come to his blessed house and we start looking around saying, well, what's in it for me? What kind of program you got for me? What kind of ministry do you have for me? I got kids. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have ministry. I'm not saying that. I understand what I'm saying? But you're, we're coming for the wrong reason if we're coming to see what we're getting out of it. Listen, if you've been saved, you already got more than you deserved. And he's given you an inheritance that will not be defiled, can will not be fade, fade away. It's an inheritance that will last forever. I, I, I flip through the TV sometimes, and I, 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 watch, I watch some silly stuff sometimes. There was one about the ones who have won the lotto. Some of you have seen that. And they won millions of dollars, and, and a good part of them are broke. Y'all seen those? And, I, and I, everything in me, I just want to laugh. I said, that's what you deserve, you greedy. You know, I'm, I'm talking about all that. I mean, we can blow through it. And, and, and it's unimaginable. Millions of dollars. It's all gone. Wasted everything. I know some families had an inheritance, a grandmom set up for them. They were fixed. If they, if they were, uh, if they were uh, doing what they should have been doing and had some good business sense and, and, and done the right thing, and by the, uh, most of them gave nothing to the church. Now, I'm just talking from experience. Nothing to the church. Wasted it on everything. They could have easily had a comfortable life. But because of their greed, they they wasted their inheritance. Hey, this inheritance that we have waiting for us, it will never fade away. Isn't that good? And so he says that we are slated for glory. Now, closing very quickly. We see that we are sealed by God. Oh, I like this one. In verse number five, it's, it tells us that we're sealed by. What does that mean? Well, in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, it says, All that are. Now, watch this. By the way, this also will give you ammunition against those who have Calvinistic theology. Notice here in John 6, 37 through 40, it says, All, notice, all that have been given me. I will not cast out. All that have been given me, I will not cast out. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been given and God has given you a promise that He will not cast you out. Now also we see it in Philippians chapter 1 verse number 6. In Philippians 1 6 it says, He that has begun a good work in you will finish that work. What does that say? A whole lot we can say about Remember, Peter is writing to a people that just need a good word of encouragement. And he tells them, here's something to shout about. First and foremost, you have a lively hope. He says, you're saved by grace. He says, no, you're not only saved by grace, but you have an inheritance waiting for you that you cannot lose, and you cannot see it fade away. And then he says, and you're sealed. I understand there are some that believe that you can lose your salvation. I understand that. I know some, and I call them friends. But I always get around to asking them, where's your hope at then? If you can lose it, where's your hope? You don't have hope. Am I the only one that can seize that? See, we that believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I've heard all those arguments where, I know a man who said he was saved 50 years ago and he ain't been in church since then. The question is not, is he lost his salvation? The question would be, did he ever get it in the first place? Okay? So don't, you know, they bring that silly stuff up. You know, they always look for the worst to try to prove their point. Even with, the, even with that, it's contradictory to the Word of God. He, Jesus says, if you've been placed in my hand, no one can pluck you out of it. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like security right there to me. Yeah. Then he goes and, and, and then he says... Here's hope. Listen, uh, the early church, Paul, uh, Peter is talking to they're looking for something to grab hold of. They're looking for something that's going to help them to endure. What, that, what if he got up and says, Okay, listen, I know you've been saved, but you do realize you can lose it? There ain't hope in that. We have a blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where he talks about the dead in Christ will rise, those who are left behind will be caught up together and will meet him in the air. And he says, comfort another one, another, uh, one another with these words. Where was the comfort? The comfort was, because I'm saved, I don't have to have, a. don't know, I hope so. I know so. And so that is encouraging to me when I read that one day... The graves are going to pop open. One day, those who are left behind are going to be raptured up together with those who have died in Christ. And we will meet Him in the air and and we will be with Him forever. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good hope for me. And so here, from Peter, verses 1 through 5, he brings them something to shout about. Tonight, we have something to shout about. I know I'm saved, not because of what I've done, but I'm saved because of what He did for me. I know that I'm slated for an inheritance that's out of this world. It's a heavenly home that I will be there forever. And I have something to shout about tonight because I know I'm saved and I'm always be saved and I can't lose it. And He will keep me into the day of His coming. By the way, here's another part of having a blessed hope. These bodies are going to be totally changed. And these bodies that are now decaying, we're going to get new bodies that will never decay. Oh, do you see now why we can keep on living for Jesus down here? Because we have a blessed hope. One day, it's going to get better.